You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. Our first reading is from Psalm 8, which you can find on page 450 of the Black Pew Bible. And just as a reminder, we say this every week, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of these home as a gift from Redeemer Church to you. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. And my friends, if we could now stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Again, Happy New Year, friends. It is a privilege to be here with you uh, preaching this morning. Our pastor, Dan Rada, sends his greetings. He's in Williamsburg, ministering and preaching to a church there. 
And we are in Christmas tide, the 12 days that follow Christmas. If you were like me as a child, I thought the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, were about all the presents I would get leading up to Christmas. In fact, the church recognizes the 12 days from Christmas Day on as Christmas tide, where we celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, God with us in human form, the Christ child. We will be taking up the story of Christ's life from where we just left off last in Luke, last Sunday, where Mary has just birthed this promised child in Bethlehem, and nearby shepherds were visited by an angel of the Lord who told them of this good news. But before we begin, would you allow me to pray? Lean in with me as I pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in our Luke passage, we read of Jesus's first week on earth, which begins with these same shepherds going with haste to see if what the angel has told them is in fact true. And as they arrive and report to Mary and Joseph their visit with the angel and all that he has said, everyone is amazed. And once again, the miraculous identity of this little child is reaffirmed. And this week culminates with the circumcision and the naming of Jesus. Now, you might look at this last verse of the passage, verse 21, and think, this is a matter of mundane detail. Of course, this little Jewish child would be treated in the custom of his people and be circumcised and named on the eighth day of his life. That is what happened to male children. Or you might be aware of some deeper theological significance of Jesus being circumcised as a sign that like Every other Jewish boy, he too is born under the obligation of the law of God. But the emphasis in verse 21 isn't on the act of circumcision, but rather the naming, the name of Jesus. Why might this be? We might ask the question, what's in a name? So friends, we have been praying, singing, proclaiming the name of Jesus over and over this season of Advent. Our hymns and our liturgies have had the name of Jesus time and again. And here now in this passage, Luke is calling us to give special attention to this name. Why? Well, I want you to think of all the ways that names are important to us, that we acknowledge the importance of names even today. If you have had to name a child, how many of you in the audience have named a child and thought for months about what that name should be? How have you protected the name of that child from perhaps opinions being shared until you were certain? How have you thought about members of your family that you wanted to honor or stories of your family that you wanted to be reflected in that name? How have you thought about what the meaning of that name is that you want for your child and how you want your child's life and personality to live into that name? Names are profoundly important. And this instinct starts from early on. Children, think about how you name your stuffed animals and friends. Have any of you ever had to name a dog or a cat or a bearded dragon? Have you named pets? How important is that to have a part in getting to name? Think about how people change their names if they think their name isn't true to them. There's a long-standing practice of wannabe famous people, Hollywood stars, changing their names to advance their careers. Some of these are well-known. You know Marilyn Monroe was Norma Jean Baker. 
Tom Cruise was Tom Mapather. Shania Twain was Eileen Regina Edwards. Kirk Douglas, one of my favorites, was Isur Danielovich. John Wayne was Marion Michael Morrison. These people changed their names because they thought the story of their new names worked better for the goals they had for their lives. And how important is it to us when our names are mistaken, when someone gets our names wrong? Maybe in a simple or silly way, like the barista mangles your name on the cup. But what if it's more, uh, more significant than that? If you are someone who is perhaps an immigrant or first-generation American, perhaps you have a name that is not in the English language and you're surrounded by English speakers and they do not pronounce your name right most of the time, how good does it feel when someone wants to know your name and say it truly as it's meant to be? And there are so many people wrangling with their own identities and wanting to choose a name that feels most true to them. And whether you're someone who thinks that should be easily done for anyone who wants to change their name or not, the point is, is that we recognize the significance of names and we care. We have strong opinions about how names should be used. Now, friends, this is how God designed names to work. God has always cared about how names tell story, how the name of a person or a thing share the identity or the purpose, the story of that person. Think about some of the people that God himself named. You have Adam, or of the earth, this man that he formed. You have Abram renamed to Abraham, which means father of many. You have Isaac and Ishmael, his sons. Isaac means the one who laughs or rejoices because he was born out of such marvelous and ridiculous circumstances. You have Ishmael, who was named God Hears You. And God spoke that name to his mother, Hagar, in a desperate time where she was afraid for her life and her son's life. He renames Jacob to Israel, which means one who was wrestled or contended with God. And he has given others, like John the Baptist, whose name means Yahweh has been gracious. He's given his name. And most famously of all, our God gave Jesus his name. We read again in the story of Luke that the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her, you shall call his name Jesus. So what's in a name? What does this name Jesus mean? Well, Jesus, you might know, is the Greek pronunciation or Greek iteration of the original Hebrew name, Yeshua. And Yeshua means Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves. Jesus' name is that story in perfect shorthand. Yahweh saves. And if you think about Mary receiving this message from Gabriel, that his name is to be Yeshua, Yahweh saves Jesus, this Jewish girl, certainly schooled in the story of her people, would recognize that this name was being given to signify that this boy, this child, would be the fulfillment of a promise made more than a thousand years earlier. Yahweh saves. Now, Jesus' first followers recognized this power, the significance of Jesus' name, healing and teaching in his name. 
In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says that God bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every other name. And so for these followers of Jesus, there was a real consequence of calling upon Christ's name, especially calling on his name instead of any other name. So now we need to think like an ancient Near Eastern for a moment. I want you to put on your first century hats and think about what was true in the time of Jesus. It was very true, not just for followers of Jesus, but for all of his contemporaries, that you understood you were under the power or the authority of a name. You were under the name of your father or your head of household. You were under the name of your earthly ruler, your provincial king, your Lord. You were under the name of the deities or the gods of your choice. And calling upon a name was this practice of invoking or asking that God or that power to protect you, to help you, to give you what you needed. And so in the ancient Near East and among Jesus' contemporaries, to say that Jesus' name was the name above every other name was a radical thing. Because this story of Jesus' name is that Jesus' name alone is the only name worth calling upon. Now we might think, what does that mean for us today? What is the significance of my having Jesus' name upon my mouth or in my heart? We might not be as familiar with some of these ancient Near Eastern competitive names, but I want to name just a few and see if this sounds familiar enough for us today. At the time of Jesus' birth, there was Caesar, Caesar Augustus. And this was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He was the Roman emperor. Augustus claimed his own father was divine, and therefore he himself, as the son, was the son of God. And contrast that with Jesus, the true son of God born at this time, Jesus' followers were told to call upon Jesus' name, not Caesar's. And they had to face the consequence of choosing allegiance and belief in Jesus' name as the name above Caesar's. But what if it wasn't a matter of just earthly powers? They also had the names of so many different Greek or Roman gods. I know some of you are taking Greek mythology in your classes. If you're at Veritas, you're learning all about these. Some of these names might be familiar to you. You have Dionysus or Bacchus, the god of comfort and ease, the god of entertainment. Can I call upon the name of comfort and distraction? You have the God of Athena, wisdom. Can I call upon the God or the power of intellectual prowess, superior wisdom and knowledge? You have the name of Eros or Cupid, the God of beauty and attraction, of desire, fulfilled desire and wants. You have the name of Mammon, the power of wealth. If I have enough power attached to finances and resources, material goods, Will I have the protection and care I need? You can go on and on and think about all the different names people called upon then and now. You might even call upon your own self. Friends, this is a season, the new year, where people are often tasked with New Year's resolutions. You're going to muster up your willpower and make up for all the goals you didn't meet last year. Or you're going to go bigger and better further. In this season of New Year's resolution, you might call upon your own name. You might call upon the power and the authority you think you can muster up on your own. And so whether you are tempted to call upon the name of any earthly or spiritual power, 
or even the name of yourself. You, like these followers of Jesus from the beginning, are being invited to call upon the name above every other name. So friends, listen to me if you can. To ask in Jesus' name is not a secret, a magical formula that guarantees success in the form you seek, but rather, if you ask in Jesus' name, if you pray in Jesus' name, if you are scared or worried, if you are sad or grieved, if you are excited and grateful and you utter Jesus' name in that moment, you are speaking his name in the fullness of the gospel truth that the full power and presence of the one true God is manifest in Jesus and that the story of Yahweh saves is held in the person and the work of Jesus. When you call upon the name of Jesus in faith, you call upon God in all of his might. As I close here, I want to mention the words of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. This is a 12th century monk who gave this short discourse on the name of Jesus in one of his sermons. He writes, for when I name Jesus, I set before me a man who is meek and humble of heart, kind, prudent, chaste, merciful, flawlessly upright and holy in the eyes of all. And this same man is the all-powerful God whose way of life heals me, whose support is my strength. All these re-echo for me at the hearing of Jesus' name. Because he is a man, I strive to imitate him. Because of his divine power, I lean upon him. And the examples of his human life I gather like medicinal herbs, And with the aid of his divine power, I blend them. And the result is a compound like no pharmacist can produce. As we step into this new year, friends, one of the most powerful and faith-filled things we can do is to practice calling upon the name of Jesus and holding in our heads and our hearts and our spirits the fullness of this story, Yahweh saves And perhaps a close second to that is believing that this same Jesus, the Savior of the world, knows you and calls you by name. And his name for you is spoken in love. In a time of year when we are hounded by the obligation of New Year resolutions and of self-improvement, we need to remember that we are invited to call upon the name of Jesus, and we are invited to let Jesus name us. As his beloved children, God's beloved children, saved by his grace. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have given your son and your spirit all glory and honor. And we call upon you, Jesus, the name above every other name, to teach us what is most true. We thank you in this new year. We thank you in Christ's holy and powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.